everybody. Welcome to episode 36 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Rappel, and with me as always, fresh off of another SCG Tour Top 8, in fact, is Collins Mullen. Hey, Collins. Hey, hey, hey. How's it going? Not bad. Congrats, man. Yeah. Um, another team team open Top 8 under the... Under the in, in, I don't even know what the saying is. Uh, under the belt, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. The um, these team events have been have been pretty good for me lately. Yeah, you're like 75 percent conversion rate right now. Yeah. So the first, I think, yeah, the first one that I played in, I was teaming with Lucas Michaels and Hunter Nance, mm-hmm. and we made top eight, and we lost in the quarters. The second one that we played in was the same squad, but we failed to make day two. We like lost our win and into day two. And then the third one was with Todd Stevens and Jody Keefe. We made top eight, lost in the quarters. And then this one, I teamed with Dylan Kirkpatrick and Austin Collins, and we made top eight and lost in the quarters. So <laughs> pretty consistent. Right. So you, um, you cracked the code for, for making top eight, which is team with a completely so. new team. Um, right, right, right. Yeah. Completely new teams. Pretty much every time. If you ever run back the same team, then you don't get another top eight. It's what, I'm, no. <laughs> it's what the trend has told me. <laughs> Yeah, dude, it's uh, it's been a blast. These team events are very fun. Yeah, that's good. So we'll get into that in one second. Before we do that, uh, I think just very quickly, we should thank our new patrons. So new subscribers to our Patreon are Josh Jarmanning, Adrian Carr, and Patrick Bell. Um, so we just want to give a really quick shout out and say thank you guys so much. You are complete badasses, and it absolutely. It just makes us feel really nice that that people are interested in in reaching out and supporting us like this. So thanks so much. Um, if anybody else is interested, just head over to Patreon.com/slash/MTGGrindcast. Uh, we got you know a Discord and stuff where we had a small but vocal crowd uh, cheering you guys on in the tournament. So that was pretty fun. Yeah, I did see a little bit of that. That was that was pretty awesome. Like uh, I was on camera and in the Discord, somebody was like, "Yo, Collins on camera." So that was fun. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know. We're definitely building a community, like like one person at a time. So it's pretty cool, and it, it's just fun to watch happen. So psyched about that. But yeah, so so the tournament itself. You want to just sort of tell us the story of the tournament, how you ended up on this team, how you ended up on your decks, and and go from there. Yeah, I mean, so uh, I my plans for this tournament were pretty unclear, kind of like going into I guess like the week or two beforehand. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make it. I didn't really have a squad. The rest of my Lotus Box team was teaming together. Dylan, Zan, and Rossum all decided to team together for this one. So I was kind of <laughs> like, you know, looking for some other people to team with. So kind of like, I guess, a, a week or so before the tournament, I like still hadn't found anybody. I had like reached out to some people, and then some plans fell through. And then Rossum pinged me, and he was like, hey, Dylan Kirkpatrick is looking for a teammate. And he had just gotten second place in Dallas the weekend before with Storm in Modern. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, you know, this guy knows what's up. And Austin, I know Austin Collins. He is one of the kids who top aided the most recent Invitational. Yep. Um, so there's Rio, who we've had on the podcast and is a good friend of mine and uh, like local to my area. And then Austin Collins was the other kid who, who top aided. And so I know that they're like, you know, Austin's an excellent Magic player and really proved that over the course of the tournament, for sure. So I was, I was pretty excited to team team with those guys. 
and we put Dylan on Legacy. Uh, I took it modern, and Austin's a standard aficionado, so we uh, we had our squad. Yeah. So how did you end up on? Uh, I guess like Sneak and Show and Legacy is is the big like that's yeah that's so an interesting deck choice. Our Legacy seat was kind of going to be the hardest to fill because of the sure. three of us. Um, I probably have the most experience in Legacy, but I felt pretty rusty in Legacy. Um, I haven't played a lot of Legacy in a long time. You know, I've, I've had success in the past with, like, Grixis Delver, and I can definitely pilot that deck and cast Brainstorm and everything, but I didn't I didn't feel as confident in that as I would have been in the modern or standard seats. And I knew that yeah. I wanted Dylan... Or I wanted, sorry, I wanted Austin on standard. So it was kind of, like, between me and Dylan on Legacy. And Dylan showed interest in playing uh, Legacy kind of first. He was like, hey, I've got experience. I've played a lot of Magic Online with this sneak and show omniscience deck and uh in the past the best teams in team events have traditionally bought, brought lands because the the best deck is grixis delver which is pretty clear and then in the past lands has been like the the team event metagame choice that like all of the best teams like really really want um mm-hmm. and you you'll kind of see that in like there are a lot of lands players who are like heavily sought after for teaming with for these team events, such as Kevin King, who we have had on the show, and Jody Keefe, and Daryl Ayers, Jarvis Hugh. You know, all these players are like super, super strong legacy players and play lands. So I, I, and Omniscience has an excellent matchup against lands. It's like one of the one of the steeper favored matchups I think in legacy. Um, so I was, I was definitely fine with you know having that be. Our, our deck choice in Legacy. And and Dylan said that he had, you know, reps on Magic Online playing the deck, so I felt pretty comfortable with that. And I, I played, I mean, I know it's pretty much an entirely different deck, but back when Dig Through Time was in Legacy, after Treasure Cruise was banned, mm-hmm. but before Dig Through Time was banned, I played Omniscience in in Legacy for a while. So I kind of, I kind of know what's up there. Yeah. So yeah, and you know, and so that put me on modern, and I just played the deck that I've been having the most success with lately, which is still humans. <laughs> yeah, we uh, just on humans all the time. Like it's just a mistake to play anything else, right? Right. And the funny thing is that like I have played a lot of other things, right? You know, whenever whenever I actually end up playing humans, and I sit down in a modern tournament lately, everybody's like, "Oh, obviously he's on humans," and I'm like, "Well, I mean, you know, I've played a lot of other stuff recently, but yeah, you yeah. got me this time. <laughs> I'm playing humans." <laughs> Uh, but you know, I've, I've been you know. If you just look at my like pre- previous results lately in modern, they've you know I've kind of like messed around with some other decks and you know not really had a lot of success or just like gone a little too deep with like Grishel Brand or kind of like had some fun with stuff or whatever. But every time I play humans, it's just it's it's just home sweet home. Very very <laughs> good deck. And you know, additionally to that, you know, humans definitely had a rough spot when there was a bunch of Jeskai control. So there were different times where humans was not a good choice. But now that like Jund is the like go-to removal spells deck of the format, mm-hmm. then Humans is an excellent spot because Humans has just a fine matchup against Jund. Uh, I would even go so far to say that Humans is favored there. So like being in that spot in the format is insane. I think that Humans is probably just exactly where you want to be right now. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. So any particular stories from the tournament? I know you know at, at least you were saying like that your teammates played really well and and so that's always super well, nice to I have. I mean I think that 
Austin Collins might need a back brace after this tournament because uh, of how much he carried Dylan and I to the top eight of this tournament. He lost one match in the Swiss and then one in top eight. So, like, losing two matches over the weekend was just insanity. Uh, yep. This kid was on fire. He ended up playing Soltai Snake, which is a deck that I know you and I both like. And he, yeah, he just crushed it. Like, uh, Bristling Hydra is insane and just dominated all of the mid-range matchups. Combo that with, yeah, combo that with Hadana's Climb, and, you know, now we're really talking. We definitely killed a lot of people like that. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, that the just felt really solid. You have excellent game against the mid-range decks. You have excellent game against the control decks. And, and you just beat up on all the aggro decks. So, like, you know, it felt like the perfect choice for the weekend. Yeah, I mean, it... If you're not running into Fumigates, like, it mostly feels pretty good. Like, you've got, you've got the very least got game against everything. It's just once once they start playing Settles and Fumigates that you start having a little bit of trouble. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But, yeah, he, you know, he just tore through that tournament. So, our, our, our top eight was definitely, you know, due to him just, you know, unable to lose <laughs> for the most part, which is pretty cool. Well, yeah, I hope he gets plenty of rest after that. And then I got some wins, and then Dylan got some wins, you know, so we uh, we, we squeaked through. It was great. <laughs> That's good. Well, I mean, definitely huge congrats. Uh, anything in particular that happened that, that was uh, particularly interesting? I mean, we, we had a bunch of stuff happen. We, so we lost the second round because I punted. That's so that, and feeling. that's actually kind of an interesting story. Uh, I played against Chen, one of the Valakut players, and... I had him dead the next turn in the air with flyers. I had two Manus Riders and, like, a Freebooter who had just taken his Sweeper out of his hand. So that I knew that next turn he could shock and cast a Bloodbraid Elf. And he's playing he's playing uh, Titan Shift. So he just kind of, like, has to YOLO it, shock, play the Bloodbraid Elf, hope to hit a Sweeper. So he does, and he hits Anger of the Gods, and he sweeps away everything. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. He's at 8. I... Play a self spirit, which, by the way, self spirit MVP for me over the weekend. The, okay, the two in my sideboard were insane. Um, okay, sick. So I play self spirit. I pass the turn. He ramps up to six mana, attacks me again down to fourteen with his uh, with his blood red elf. I then play a mana strider and hit him for five with the self spirit and the mana strider. Uh, so he's at three now, and I have self spirit and mana strider, which is like you know. Makes me feel pretty confident about my my Manus Rider surviving, because if if my Manus Rider can survive until my next turn, then I win, right? And like I'm dead to a bolt, right? But that's fine. So I pass the turn, and he starts off by attacking me with his Bloodbraid Elf, and it's the second round of the tournament, and I'm I'm just like not in it yet, and I don't I do the mistake that I've been preaching and preaching and preaching that nobody do, which is I didn't think about it. I just took the damage down mm-hmm. to 11. And then he casts the Titan from his hand, gets a second Valakut and a sixth Mountain, deals me six damage, plays Mountain from his hand, six more damage, I'm dead. Mm-hmm. Had I thought about it, I knew that he had a Titan in his hand. So if I block with my Mana Strider and then before damage, sacrifice myself a spirit, I'm out of range for him killing me with a titan i'm still dead to a lightning bolt or a fetch land because he can 
Titan, shoot me for six, play fetch land, pass the turn, kill my Manus Rider mm-hmm. whenever. But the fact that my Manus Rider would have been uh, indestructible to any of his sorcery speed stuff, which I knew that he had like a Slagstorm in hand and um, a Titan in hand, so like a bunch of sorcery bolts, right? But I'm, I'm protected against all of that if I block and sacrifice the Selfless Spirit. But instead, like the biggest mistake that I made was just I didn't think about it and I took the damage. I was like, yeah, I'm, I need to do everything I can to prevent my Manus Rider from dying. So I, you know, I defaulted to the the snap action that would make that the case, but then I died, right? So right. probably even worse. Which um, is kind of not even on your radar, even though if you had thought like, oh yeah, he has Primeval Titan, what does that mean? But, but right, like, right. You're, you're thinking with you know, your like and, reptile you know, it brain could have easily here. been on my radar for sure, but I made the mistake that I feel like so many people make all the time and just, you know, kind of blanked on, on thinking about it. We, we, we had just come up to the pretty clutch decision of the turn or of the of the match right where okay do i block and sack or do i just take it and i just didn't you know i didn't give it any thought i just kind of like snapped what i thought was like instinctively correct or whatever which is bad don't do that (laughs) not great yeah Um, yeah don't do it but but you know we are also like you can't i mean you can kick yourself for it but you can't like let it grate on you forever well like it's just the great news though is that because I had such a clear example of me making that type of mistake that I really buckled down for the rest of the tournament and mm. I felt like I played really tight. So maybe it was a blessing in disguise and and it kind of allowed me to like get back into tournament mode, thinking through everything, all that stuff. So yeah. it worked out. Well, yeah, clearly it worked out just fine. Cool, good. Yeah, I also uh, top aided an event this weekend. Solid uh, 3-0 and 2 in a PPTQ. Lost immediately Excellent. in the quarterfinals, which is, you know, basically the same accomplishment as uh, top eighting a, a team open and then losing in the quarterfinals. So, you know, <laughs> we both had good weekends. Uh, no, that's awesome, dude. So it was it was sealed, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't even, it wasn't like a, a big PPTQ or anything like that. But I, I mean, I felt like I made good calls with how I built my deck. My initial... Uh, instinct while constructing is that I really wanted to build the like Zakama ramp deck with the the tormenting voice for three and a red that also puts two treasures into play and stuff and just sort of put any cards that I could to stall the game out and try to just cast that Zakama and win but after like staring at that pile of cards for long enough I thought I don't think this is actually a good idea I didn't quite have the tools to make that deck work so then I laid out sure. a much less exciting but much more consistent, like, blue-red, more aggressive deck, which is not something that I love building in sealed, but because my two drops were double Kite Sail Corsair, which is by far the best two drop, and I had multiple, like, blue instance uh, bounce spells and, and ways to uh, put their guys on top of their library and stuff, and just there were enough ways to like keep tempo going. I had a, a critical mass of cards that like affected the board the turn that I cast them that I felt that it would be okay. And it, it was quite good, you know, for all the matches that I played. And then the last round, one game I was on the draw against uh, an opponent who had lots of uh, 1-1 lifelink tokens. So I did sideboard into the deck with Raging Regisaur and Zakama and cast a Zakama the turn after getting my wreckage settled. So that was very satisfying. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, That's awesome. 
Yeah, it that's the combo, right? Is you attack with a bunch of creatures, they get settled, and then you cast your nine drop. Yep, yep. Although, uh, unfortunately, I would have been able to cast a comma that turn anyways, regardless of the settle. And I, you know, attacked into the settle thinking that <laughs> it doesn't even matter because I'm casting Sakama next turn. And I probably should only have attacked with one creature, but, you know. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, yeah, but, I mean, you know, Sakama just ends the game uh, a vast majority of the time. <laughs> just, so. just a little bit. Um, unfortunately, I committed sort of the cardinal sin of Rivals Draft. and Because I just got handed like a pretty straightforward red-white beatdown deck. Like kept getting these late uh, Sky Marcher Aspirants and Goblin Trailblazers and some pump spells. But then just got matched up against uh, Sailor of Means and Vampire Lifelink Tokens and uh, Squares yep. Devotion on a Hexproof guy and just had no no tools to win that game. Yeah, definitely definitely not exactly what you want to see. But, you know, if you if you still drafted what was open, then sometimes that's just kind of like the seat that you're given, right? Yeah, I did not really think that there was another route that I could have taken. I could have... The interesting part came in the deck building portion, because I actually had double Forerunner of the Empire, but the problem was that they killed all of my good common creatures, so it, it was a very difficult deck to build. Did, did I include, like, all of my low drops to be as aggressive as possible and make the best use of my pump spells? Or did I include my Forerunners of the Empire, even though I didn't really have good dinosaurs for them to get, just very medium dinosaurs for them to get? So that was a tough call, but either way, I was pretty cold to Square's Devotion on Soul of the Rapids, so... So, stuff that I've been doing at home, I have been playing some MTG Arena, and now that the NDA is lifted, we can probably talk about that for for a quick minute. Yeah, for um, sure. Um, I've seen I've seen some streams, and I actually just last night kind of like uh, loaded up the arena and and you know played some games because I, I also have the uh, the beta or whatever. And uh, yeah, so you know, what are your what are your overall thoughts on everything at the moment? So uh, I mean, I want to split this up into like a couple of separate things. Um, okay. So number one is the economy right now, which is very. I mean, it feels not super rewarding to play games and open packs and stuff. It feels really difficult to get anywhere close to building the decks that you want to build. Um, I'm hoping, you know, there have been some announcements on the forums and stuff about what their plans are with this. Um, Things like getting more wild cards, like guaranteeing a mythic wild card when you open the, what's called the vault. Uh, And this is like a, once you get a, a, a number of, cards in excess of four like you only get up to a four of in your collection so whenever you get a fifth card you instead get like you move your meter to getting a little closer to opening the vault um and i opened the vault once but all i got was basically like two packs worth of cards like i got one rare wild card which you can turn into any rare and then like one random mythic which was a carnage tyrant but it could have been something terrible um, yeah. And then just some random cards. So it didn't feel like, ooh, I got to open the vault. It felt like, okay, this was basically opening two packs of cards. Um, <laughs> sure, sure. So, and, and I mean, I, I think that it's just fundamentally constructed. Like, the model is relatively similar to Hearthstone in the method of card obtaining. But the problem is that Magic is a very different game from Hearthstone. And while you only need one of any given legend in Hearthstone, you might need four in uh, of a mythic you know you might want four rekindling phoenix in your deck uh in magic and and it 
because there's also just way more cards in Magic, it becomes difficult to get the specific things you want. So hopefully the existence of Draft, once that comes in, will make this a little bit easier. Um, but right now, the like grinding constructed games to try to start building closer to real constructed decks feels less rewarding than it it should right now, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, I, I, I know that you feel the same way, but I can't preach enough that I... I can't wait for draft to come out on, on arena. <laughs> I think that's yeah. going to be pretty game changing. And until that happens, it's just kind of like whatever. It's actually kind of confusing to me. I'm not sure why they would have. And I think somebody brought this up in the Discord, and I, I mean, I just could not agree more. I'm not sure why they would have released this with the NDA lifted until they had draft. I think they should have put their best foot forward and let. But once they're allowing streamers to show off the game, why are they not having streamers show off draft? I think it would have been better to keep it secret for a little bit longer until they have a real format on there. Sure. I mean, I f- yeah, I un- yeah, I definitely get you on that frustration, but I think that there are probably just like a million different potential answers to that. The first one that pops into my mind is that they're probably on some sort of like release schedule that they mm-hmm. want to uh, abide by where in order to keep everybody's interest. And they might just be so far away from implementing draft that they just like didn't feel like they could afford to wait any longer, yeah. um, which is definitely frustrating from us as players. But like you know, from the dev side, that's just something that can happen. Um, yeah. So I'm sure there's just a bunch of concerns that we don't know about. But certainly, like if I were running the show, I would. You know, I the the best part about Magic is drafting, and so I, <laughs> I feel like. Yeah. If I were showing off a new Magic product that Draft is going to be a central feature of, I would not want to show it off until we've got that central feature in place, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but um, I my experience with Arena in like its current status or whatever, I guess is a little different, where um, I the economy part definitely felt like a challenge, but when I, when I dived into it last night, I, I kind of did some research and uh, into like you know what which cards I already had access to and which decks I thought were going to be pretty powerful and I kind of like min maxed into finding out that the easiest deck to like get pretty close to optimal was black white vampires mm-hmm. because like a lot of the really really key pieces there are like uncommons and commons so I was actually able to kind of build that deck and then craft the key pieces to it. Um, just with like what I started with, you know, before I played any matches, and I've I've been having like a lot of success with it. I've I got in like I don't know maybe twelve games last night and didn't and I only lost one. So the deck felt like really powerful, and I don't know if that's just because I'm playing against like the other people who are like you know just starting out or whatever. But I mean, yeah. there is a pretty reasonable skill gap. You know, like I I threw a couple of decks together. And then landed on blue white uh, auras, and then all of a sudden I just couldn't lose, and I yeah I, I maintained like a ninety percent win rate for for like well over thirty games uh, until I started running into like moment of craving every every other match, and then then things got <laughs> a little bit tougher once people sort sure. of learned. But yeah, I mean like one cool thing about it is you know 
uh, obviously real magic is played in matches with sideboarding and stuff, but I kind of like the, you know, early ladder implementation here of, you know, just one more game. And it kind of has, like, even when I'm not really getting rewards, and I think it should be a little bit more rewarding, like, it's just very easy to click that button and play another game. You just kind of want to go back in and get another hit of it. And so I think that's well done. And, like, I don't think that I would feel that way if the games didn't play out pretty smoothly and, and weren't enjoyable to play. So I think they've done a, a pretty good job with that for at least the the games that are being played right now. Um, it's yeah, it's yeah. enjoyable to play. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely that's kind of like... When I was watching some of the streams, I definitely had, like, a pretty negative reaction to everything. I was like, this doesn't seem that great and that's kind of the experience that i had when i was playing like much earlier in the in the beta but yeah i mean when i hopped on last night and i started like actually doing it myself and seeing everything there were a few frustrating elements of the gameplay like sometimes it's a little difficult to like look at a graveyard or go back and look at previously revealed cards um it's just like almost non-existent um, it does do a pretty good job of like showing you like what's in their hand or whatever, but any revealed card is just going to be face up in their hand, which is kind of cool. But just like a few other things where I'm like, I like, I want to like go back and look at some information about what happened or something. Um, like, you know, scries top to the bottom is like impossible to figure out what's going on. And these are <laughs> like really marginal things that I'm sure many, many players just aren't going to care about when they're first starting out in arena. Um, but you know, as like as a competitive magic player, I'm like I want to know if you scry to the top or bottom, right? So right for sure. Um, it's uh, it's a little tough for stuff like that, and just like managing like you know, like the first couple of games I played, it I had it on like whatever full control mode, or no, not full control mode, but like uh, it like tapped my mana for me, and like just like auto yielded through my turn when I didn't have any plays and stuff like that, and that was like scary but like i played a little more with it just because i wanted to see if it was like fine and it, it was fine like you know it didn't really impact my ability to play the game uh so it felt fine there like i you know i i was able to do everything i wanted to and i was able to sequence everything appropriately even under the like the default mode of like it's gonna it's gonna do all these things for you so so i've definitely i've definitely had good experiences with like that stuff and you know and then i switched it over to full control mode for like a little bit and then that was like kind of a little more tedious and I actually like didn't even like it as much which was like an interesting and cool feature about that where you know that's just like always default for Magic Online so you know I'm used to it but like you know after playing for a little bit on like it's gonna yield my turn for me or whatever that was like I, I enjoyed that I think it was I think it was fine yeah yeah it, it mostly plays out pretty well I think in more complex formats like like this is not an engine that I would want to play legacy matches or even modern matches on, I think, most of the time. Just because uh, some things... Oh, yeah, that sounds like a nightmare, for sure. Just don't get handled very well. And, and like, I don't... You know, some, some weird stuff. Like, it handles normal games of, like, modern era magic quite well. But things like having a whole bunch of tokens in play, like, blocking is kind of difficult to do, clearly. Um, right. And who knows like, how to hold priority? Like, you know... Right. <laughs> And, and and so that's you know I had one one person I was talking to who had a Neza Hall in play and like you hold priority I, I think by like holding down control or something like there's a way to do it but it's really hard to do for your own triggered abilities so he wanted to like do something in response to his own Neza Hall draw a card trigger 
but sure. he would have had to like have been predicting when his opponent was going to play a non-creature spell so that he could be holding down control at that time and that certainly oh, gross. doesn't yeah. work so yeah definitely some weird stuff like that also i uh, was listening to uh another podcast lords of limited podcast and kunio was guessing and he told me this that i didn't realize uh and then i went and checked it out for myself um but the way that it arranges your hand it puts all of the when you get your opening hand it puts all of the lands on one side and all the spells on the other and that's also the way it's presented to your opponent and your opponent can like track the cards in your hand like which ones you play and so when you draw your card for the turn they can see which card that is um so it's kind of like you know hearthstone does the same thing and it's one of the things i disliked the most about hearthstone was keeping track of individual cards in your opponent's hand and how long they'd been there and that sort of thing probably just a bias because in magic you don't usually do that uh and i don't really like having that as a thing in arena and especially because like in arena you can rearrange your hand you can shuffle cards around like click it and and move it around and in order to play optimally right now i think you have to be doing that if yeah, you have an and that's just not something that I want to have to do, you know? <laughs> no, I'm not interested in that at all. <laughs> right, right. In Magic, it's one thing, right? Because it just becomes, like, second nature to just, like, flick your cards around. Or I yeah. guess I, I should say in Paper Magic. But, like, yeah, on, on this client or whatever, like, uh, I know that some people shuffle, like, on Magic Online. They just, like, shuffle their hand around just because they, they like doing that or whatever. So I'm sure there are going to be some non-zero number of players who are just going to do that on Magic Arena or whatever. But on Magic Online, I never change the order of the cards in my hand. And yeah. I, I really don't want to have to here either. Like, especially if it's, like, means that, you know, I need to be doing that in order for my opponent to not have information, right? Right, uh, right, for so sure. Hopefully they do something about that, but we'll see. Yep. I bet they um, will. I bet they will. Probably, because it, it doesn't really represent real Magic, uh... I mean, I guess it does technically, but because of the way right. that people shuffle their hands around, it's, yeah, it's not. Yeah, in a way, it represents real magic even more, but, um, but yeah. not, in like a, not in a good way. No, not not at all. Um, right. it, it represents like playing against like new players who don't shuffle their hands around because that's not really what... You know, they're just trying to yeah. cast, play and their play lands, their cast lands their spells off the top of their library and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've, I've also been kind of doing the opposite of playing Arena, which is that I have started my foray into Legacy in preparation for uh, Eternal Weekend and GP Birmingham. Oh, so that's, nice. that's, this has been how an exciting much, So how much experience so do you have with Legacy? Minimal. Uh, I think the Minimal. last time that I, okay. that I actually played Legacy, I was playing like Merfolk back when you could like actually Whoa. do that and i played against goblins back when you could actually do that and i won two savannas Ooh. so that was nice that was a while ago yeah so i've been i've been trying out turbo depths online and it's pretty fun i'm enjoying it my takeaway so far is basically like oh my god this format is so stressful like yeah yeah every single game like they could just draw a card that destroys you um, you know, <laughs> like I, I'm playing a deck with eight thought seizes in it. And so I'll like to arrest my opponent and think I'm okay. And they'll untap and they'll play a brainstorm that they just drew. And then I'm just like, Oh, well, I have no idea what's in your hand. And you probably just drew a card that beats me here. And it's, uh, yeah, man, my heart rate goes up. My heart, like, like literally my heart rate has gone up multiple times in, in different games. I also well, that's had, awesome. <laughs> I, I had one game where my, my Belcher opponent, and this is a game where I misplayed too, because I, 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 I'm not used to, you know, how many resources you dedicate towards different 
things and what I should have done probably. You know, I thought seized him, took a belcher. Um, he didn't have any way to kickstart his uh, his belcher turn, but I felt like taking the belcher was the safest thing. He did have an empty the Warrens, and then he untaps and immediately land grants, which gives him the mana he needs to go tinder wall and then the rest of his stuff and empty the Warrens for actual 20 goblins. What I should have done probably was Lotus pedaled out my other Thoughtseize and, and either made the plan to, you know, take two mana sources, if that would have been enough to keep him off of doing anything, or taken both of his kill conditions, because he probably would have been pretty far off of doing anything there. But I wanted to maximize my ability for a quick uh, for a quick combo turn. You know, it would have sped me up a turn to not spend the Lotus Petal there. Uh, but then he made 20 goblins, but then, you know, because Variance doesn't care about justice, I immediately drew crop rotation so keeping the Lotus Petal worked out because I was able to make a 20-20 go to one by blocking and then kill him. Oh, nice. But but I feel like most of my games are that close, you know? Yeah, so the the thing that I... Like, the kind of, like, way that I've described formats to some people is... So the spectrum goes from, like, draft to standard to modern to legacy, right? And mm-hmm. on the front end of the spectrum, in, like, draft, the skills that are rewarded in in each format are very different. Um, and the skills that are awarded in draft and standard are like kind of like your macro decisions, right? Your gameplay, your game plans um, are like super rewarded and that like extra, it's extraordinarily uh, in uh, very much in draft where your, um, your game plan for how your draft is going to evolve is like the biggest thing that's going to impact your win percentage, right? If you have a good sure. plan, and you draft well, and your plan comes together, and you end up with a good deck, uh, that's kind of like, it's almost the biggest thing that matters, and then the gameplay itself is kind of like, it feels almost like more of a formality, like, and if you drafted a better deck than your opponent, you're going to win a, a majority of the time, right? And then in Standard, I think it's it's a similar concept, where the gameplay in Standard is definitely, you know, pretty rewarding, and, you know, it's still magic, and you're going to be rewarded for better gameplay and everything, but the game plans that you're creating in your standard matches are like pretty defining on how the, the, the stuff works out. And then the individual decisions that you make almost matter like less. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more you go down this line of formats to modern, to legacy, the more your overall game plan, while it still matters, it matters less and less. And the individual decisions that you make in the game matter more and more and more. Because in the in like in the more eternal formats, like your game plan is almost already laid out for you. Burn is trying to kill their opponent. Infect has has an obvious game plan. In Legacy, you know, Lands has like a couple of different game plans, but they're pretty pretty clear, right? You're either trying to lock your opponent out or like kill them quickly with a twenty twenty. Delver's trying to lay down a threat and then disrupt their opponent, right? So all their game plans are already laid out, and that kind of like allows it to be in a spot where the your individual decisions and like all of the tiny minute sequencing and tiny little decisions that you end up making have a huge huge impact on each game and and yeah that makes it extraordinarily stressful because when you're playing a match of legacy and you know you're looking at your hand and you have to like brainstorm or sequence like three different things differently or you know, they're just like so, so many minute decisions that happen in a, in a match of legacy. 
and all of these tiny decisions matter so 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 much in terms of like you know whether or not you're going to be able to you know play around days or you know play through whatever it, it gets really crazy so yeah i definitely hear what you're saying when you're talking about you know this this format is stressful because hooey <laughs> all of the decisions that you you have to make are super super crucial which you almost don't even experience in in the other formats right i i mean I, I, I definitely, that, that makes sense. a lot of sense. I had not quite thought about it that way, but yeah. And, and this is kind of the part of the game that I'm worst at. I'm, I'm pretty good the individual at... individual sequencing aspects? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good at recognizing metagames. I'm pretty good at making like individual card choice calls. I, I'm pretty good at, you know, like I knew while I was drafting that red-white aggro deck in, in this PVTQ. I knew that this is not the archetype that I would choose if I would sit down to draft a deck. It's what was available, but like I, I understood my place, and when my opponent played a, a Squire's Devotion on his guy, I thought, yeah, like I, I knew what I was signing up for, and I can lose to this. Like these are places where my understanding is pretty high, but the in actual gameplay, like making individual decisions, like this is definitely one of my big weaknesses, and sometimes it rears its head as just straight up sloppiness. Um, sometimes it's not recognizing how important some individual thing is you know like like in one game i didn't realize how important my opponent having a death rate shaman in play was because i didn't like process that that gave them white mana for swords to plowshares that they wouldn't have otherwise like these tiny little things sometimes don't quite penetrate into my conscious thought and hopefully playing legacy is gonna help develop that a little bit if it really is that much more important in legacy because it's it's definitely something that when that's the turning point of a match in standard i'm not as confident that i'm going to be making the right call as i am in you know choosing the right deck or choosing the right deciding who's the who's the beatdown in a particular match of draft or sealed so yeah i mean hopefully this helps me become a ma better magic player i guess yeah yeah it's pretty crazy. I so the, the the first two formats that I played when first getting into Magic was draft and legacy. <laughs> so it was kind of like these were like weird polar opposites of, you know, how the game worked. But I think that that like did a lot for my gameplay where legacy really really taught me about each like very minute decision and then draft kind of like gave me a, a pretty decent idea of what, you know, your game plan needs to look like and stuff like that. And how to develop that um but yeah i mean you know uh it's uh legacy is kind of its own little universe and it'll it'll definitely teach you that you know sequencing is is super super important yeah sequencing is is king for sure like and especially like you know i i mean i'm i'm kind of starting out with a crutch since i'm playing a combo deck that runs a lot of thought seizes so but i i feel yeah. like well, try out um, Gitaxian Probe. Gitaxian Probe is training wheels, so... Right, yeah, no, no <laughs> that'll, uh, that'll get you there, for sure. This this list does have one Gitaxian Probe in it, but I'm pretty sure that that's Whoa. just a straight-up mistake. Okay. Um, it's it's not the right list, so uh, I, I'm switching that immediately after this league. Um, I mean, I've played a couple of leagues, but now I'm confident enough to start making some small changes to the deck. But yeah, the I actually really like, since I'm starting out like like a, a little baby in this format the fact that i get to see my opponent's hands most games um and sort of that like that helps me understand their lines a little better than just 
you know, them doing a thing and then whether or not I lose to that thing and how um, having seen the cards from the beginning is is very helpful. So, you know, probably yeah. at, at some point need to play some Delver decks to really, some Brainstorm decks to really understand this format. But for right now, uh, I'm okay with just thought seizing them and yeah. And well, using you know, let's, let's take a let's take a little you know let's crawl before we can we can spread right. with brainstorm absolutely because <laughs> brainstorm is whew. oh boy what a card man I, yeah ugh. like like you know you know like I've I've seen enough Magic played I've played enough Magic I've talked enough about Magic that I'm just like yeah obviously brainstorm is completely nuts but there's no comparing it to like actually sitting down and playing a game and like after you guys have yeah. both run out of resources and then your opponent they have two cards in hand they draw a card and then they cast brainstorm and you just slump down in your seat <laughs> like yeah. it just feels yeah. unwinnable from there right no brainstorm brainstorm is one of those cards that is it's so good that you just most of the time you just can't even cast it it's <laughs> it's it's hilarious yeah dude legacy's tough uh, yep. i'm glad you're getting into it for for a vast majority of my time playing magic legacy was my favorite format not close now that i've played it kind of so little because i've been playing so many tournaments i think that that has shifted to either standard or modern but legacy's great so yeah well and i am gonna have to uh invest in an actual paper legacy deck in order to play in these tournaments so you know maybe you know at some point in your cycling through team partners you'll have to hit me up and i'll i'll play some dark depths or something next to you Excellent. In an Excellent. open. Dude, I'm down. That sounds great. We'll see. I'll, I'll, team I, team I won't offer. I won't offer until I feel actually competent. But <laughs> yeah, so that's exciting. I will give actual, you know, once I have more than two and a half leagues under my belt, I'll give some actual uh, insight into the format and we'll probably talk about what's what's actually going on in Legacy right now past like Grixis Delver is everywhere and Brainstorm is really good. I think we can yeah. do a little better in the future. The one, if yeah, if I'm going to say one thing on that, it's the kind of the takeaway from the team open is that it's it definitely looks like Grixis Delver is kind of a broken deck right now because even lands, like even a good lands pilot is going to lose a good percentage of the time to a good Grixis Delver pilot, which is like not really where you want to be. Just all the cards in Grixis Delver are ridiculously efficient. And, like, you know, we played against Joe Banal's team twice in the tournament, and, and they ended up winning. And Joe was like, yeah, this Grixis deck just, you know, something needs to get banned out of this pretty quickly because, um, yeah. you know, Miracles isn't a thing anymore to keep it into check. And none of the other decks in the format are, like, coming close to being at the same power level. Right. I know, so. I know a bunch of people have been trying, like, new Miracles, topless Miracles, uh, just because it should beat Grixis Delver. But without top, it's just, like... Like it probably has a slightly positive matchup against Grixis Delver, but it's just not a strong enough. It doesn't yeah, seem I mean, like you know, a strong like enough deck to me. Miracles with top probably was like a fifty-five percenter against right. Grixis Delver, but now you know now that that deck has just gotten crippled so much, and Grixis Delver is as good as it ever has been. You know, it's whew, it's just not it's not great. Yeah, I mean the thing I was I was sort of ranting about in our uh, like friend groups Discord is that why does this three-color deck get to play four Wastelands in it? This three-color, like, aggro deck with all these one-drops in it just gets to slot four Wastelands in as, as four of its, it's because of Deathrite Shaman. 
it is it is right exactly and and it just seems so crazy to me that this is a thing you know i I, i've only seen it from the other side of the table and so obviously i'm more likely to be in a complaining mood about it but it does seem a little bit like it's doing stuff that that probably it shouldn't be allowed to do just the raw efficiency of everything and the clock that it puts on yeah on top of everything else is like the the you know i didn't play legacy this weekend but the the feel that i got from talking to a bunch of players is that it's kind of getting a little silly um, yeah. so well i know it it was like 35 percent of the field or something something totally crazy like that uh so right that's yeah and, that's and those percentages to... in a format that has existed and the carpool is so vast for mm-hmm. and it's existed for so long you know it's pretty telling i think Especially in a format where it's so difficult to change decks. You know, if you weren't already in a blue deck, like, it's hard to get your Valks and your one Tropical Island and stuff like that. Like, it's difficult right, right. To, to just audible or whatever. So, we have gone through a bunch of stuff. We could talk about Standard a little bit, but we've already used up a fair amount of time, and I do want to... So, you know, we got a whole bunch of Dominaria cards dumped on us really, you know, before the spoiler season even started, which it kind of puts us in a weird spot as magic content creators. And it's it's difficult to figure out how to give cards that we're excited about enough attention, like in spoiler season going up. So I, I think what we're going to do right now, what seems to make the most sense to both of us is to look at cards as they're sort of officially spoiled you know we talked about some of the ones we were most excited about but now this will give us a chance to sort of run through some of the likely players in standard at a more measured rate so as cards come through like the official spoiler system basically once we have pictures of the cards and know what rarity they are um we're gonna go revisit some of these things so i feel like we got a few that we probably want to talk about and we can just spend the last little bit of the episode going through some some dominaria cards yeah definitely some of these are look look pretty exciting for sure especially these uh like the whole saga business with you know the cards that like into the battlefield have an effect and then like over the course of the next couple of turns have another effect that that just seems like it's a, a pretty unique and interesting design space and i i definitely like those to me it kind of feels like like fixed planeswalkers almost oh yeah yeah you know like planeswalkers are sort of this thing that just gives you incremental value over a couple of turns but the way that they are is like if they're not addressed immediately most planeswalkers just end the game like you can't leave you know a chandra in play without pressuring it or or you just die um and these sort of seem to like give a similar like all right let me play this card and get my value out of it without having that like warping the whole game around its existence sort of thing right right so the first one that we're looking at is a saga called history of benalia it's an enchantment saga it's one and two white the way that these work is when they come into play and then at the beginning of your first main phase each turn you like dial it up by adding a lore counter so uh, it'll come into play and do a thing on your next turn it'll do a thing and then on the turn after that it'll do a thing and you sacrifice it so History of Benalia, when it comes into play, you get a 2-2 white knight creature token with Vigilance. Then on your next turn, you get the same thing. And then on the turn after that, knights you control get plus 2, plus 1 until end of turn, and you sacrifice the enchantment. 
Um, and yep. so this one is actually Mythic, which, you know, we had seen this card spoiled before, but we didn't know the rarity. And it seemed pretty powerful to me, but the fact that it is Mythic rarity makes me think that that might be sort of a plant, like, it, it may not have started out at Mythic, and then with how it played, it got bumped up in rarity a little bit. So that makes me think this card might play even better than it looks. I don't know if you've thought about this one at all. No, I mean, for sure. I was kind of like going over some play patterns that would happen, and honestly, the card looks very, very strong. It's not yeah. busted by any chance, any stretch of the imagination, but it's it's definitely very, very strong. You're paying... So essentially, you can kind of look at it like a... Like, immediate impact-wise, it's a 3-mana 2-2, which is fine, you know? Not something that you're going to be, like, super, super pumped about in, like, a... You know, in in Constructed or anything. But, you know, 3-mana 2-2, and then you get another 2-2 on the next turn. And then the turn after that, you kind of, like... Both of your knights get pumped, you know, a, a decent amount. They get plus 2, plus 1. Um, and if you're, you know, if you're drafting, like, a knight's deck, then that third ability could be like very very relevant where you can just like anthem your team crunch in for a pretty powerful attack make your make your smaller knights kind of like trade up a little bit it seems very strong yeah it to me it sort of compares you know gideon ally of zendikar kind of dominated standard for its entire presence in the format and this is certainly not as powerful as, as gideon ally of zendikar but the play pattern of play it on turn three the next turn you get to attack for two, the turn after that you get to attack for eight. Like that's kind of doing, you know, Gideon, you play it and then the next turn you attack for seven, like on turn five, this on turn five, you're attacking for eight with those two knights. I mean, it is a little wonky, like it discourages you from trading off your knight tokens, but it also uh, pumps any other knights you might have in play. Um, you know, we've got this Knight of Grace in Dominaria, which is one in a white for a two, two hexproof from black first strike and also hexproof from black is just awful keywording but uh and it gets plus one plus oh as long as any player controls a black permanent um which could even be you which is interesting because there's a fair number of vampire knights as well and if you've got other knights in play when you when this thing goes off then that's that's really something and these work together really well in multiples because each one of them creates two knights if you get to pump them multiple times like that's a lot of damage that you're presenting uh yeah absolutely the third ability i think is like you know it's definitely going to be dependent on what deck you're running it in but if you're running it in a constructed deck then all of your things are probably going to be knights and if you're running it in a draft deck i think that you know it seems likely to me that there's going to be a knight's draft archetype so you know i think that the the third key ability on this saga is like kind of easy to underrate but if you you know if you are drafting with synergy and have a good game plan there then you know i think it's going to be very very strong like any sort of like overrun anthem effect kind of deal in in yeah trial of solidarity has seen constructed play and and was one of the best cards in in amaket draft but but more importantly has seen constructed play uh and this seems you know if you can build one of those decks if we have enough constructed playable knights to make this a thing uh, this can be a hugely powerful effect. We'll, we'll just kind of have to see if Knights is going to be like a big thing. We'll have to go back and look and see if there are any Knights that have been printed already or whatever. I think that's yeah, kind of unlikely, but... There's a few Knights... There's a few Vampires on Horses that, that are Knights. But oh, I'm not yeah, sure like exactly Vampire Knights could which. be a thing, for sure. Yeah. So there's a couple of Red Sagas that are pretty interesting. Um, so the first one is The First Eruption, which is... Also, the art on these is really cool. Like... 
uh, oh, yeah, history sure. of Vanalia is this big stained glass window. Uh, the first eruption is done in the style of a, a tapestry showing the history of, of this thing. So it's two in a red. Uh, number one, the first eruption deals one damage to each creature without flying. Number two, add red red. And number three, sacrifice a mountain. If you do, the first eruption deals three damage to each creature. So this is a pretty cool, like, rampy, sweepy combo card that I, I think, you know, looks very weird. But if you can use the, the mana ability on the turn after, you know, like, like basically every time my opponent played a Chandra and then was able to untap and use it for mana, I felt like I was going to lose that game. So this, this seems, like, kind of similar to me. Yeah, I mean... The effect that it's doing, especially on the third iteration, is like pretty powerful, mm-hmm. and it does ramp into six mana the next turn, which is like you know pretty strong. But I don't know the the first effect seems a little underwhelming to me, it um, does. and it, so it could be like a sideboard card, I guess. I'm just kind of like trying to see right like where you would want to fit it in. And it would have to be a sideboard um, card, like, in a deck that its primary plan wants the mana from the number two, but not right. enough that it's, like, not in the main deck. So, I mean, like, yeah, this is a super awkward card, for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm just, like, trying to see where you would want it. Um, if there is some sort of home for this card, I think it has potential to be very strong. Because, like, you know, the the second and third abilities that this card offers are are you know could potentially be very powerful but it's kind of it's it's going to be a a really strange card to see like or like okay so say we're building an archetype man i really want this effect you know we're it's it's just not a card that kind of fits into that category of like you know oh yeah i really need a card that deals one damage to each creature with flying and then adds mana and then deals three damage to each creature after i sacrifice a mountain that just seems you know right it seems pretty pretty strange um yeah because it's kind of all over the place you know We've never had a card that does all of these things, so that makes it a little harder to picture the deck that wants it, because we've never like been able to slot this into a thing. But yeah, it's definitely hard to picture exactly, you know, what set of cards wants this these effects out of one thing. It's very weird. This next one is a little more straightforward. So this is the Flame of Keld. It's one in a red for a saga. It's number one is discard your hand. So not not great. Number two is draw two cards. And number three is if a red source you control would deal damage to a permanent or player this turn, it deals that much damage plus two to that permanent or player instead. Yeah, so this card kind of jumped out to me as potentially very, very powerful in some sort of like fast red deck. Like any sort of Hazret deck, I think, would love a card like this, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know... Um, if you have like hazards in your hand already, it, it might not be like that great um, to cast it before then. But and like the hazard decks are traditionally trying to dump their hand and then have some sort of payoff to to kind of reward them for doing so. Mm-hmm. Um, and we already see that you know Bowmat Courier is one of those cards that is very powerful and rewards you for dumping your hand. Hazard is very powerful and rewards you for dumping your hand. I think this is just another one of those powerful cards that rewards you for dumping your hand and uh, and then it'll give you more gas the next turn to draw two more cards and then the turn after that if you've got you know like a bunch of of red duders just trying to beat through and like you know it, it effectively gives them two more power that turn to attack through you know creatures potentially or to steal the boatload of damage 
So yeah, um, I mean, like having your your fanatical firebrands attack or uh, sacrifice for three damage is quite good as well. Oh, absolutely, um, that seems nuts for sure. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think it is you know pretty straightforward. Like it would be good in a red deck. You know, the problem is you never want to draw two of these because you're always discarding one to right. the other one. Yeah. So it's um, probably not ever going to be a four of, but yeah, um, I do think it's pretty strong. Yeah, and it's it's cool how you can like save up cards in a Bomat Courier and then cast this thing, and then on you know That's like after the discard trigger, you you put <laughs> two or three more cards in your hand, and they all get supercharged once you hit that third turn with this thing. So that's yeah. that's yeah. pretty cool. That seems like very good synergy for sure. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we're already running as many Bomat Couriers as we can, so you know, this thing could. Could certainly find you know the the red decks kind of need a little bit of a a kick uh, to keep up with some you know they need the, I, I feel like they need some more tricky stuff because what what it's doing right now is so straightforward that like the blue black decks just kind of beat them by playing enough moments of craving and stuff yeah um, and so I think cards like this that do interesting things and interact on an axis that maybe you know that removal doesn't just beat that Vraska's Contempts and Moment of Craving are not actually an answer to, then, you know, this is... Maybe maybe this card isn't quite good enough, but this kind of card is the, the kind of card that red decks need access to to adapt to what other people are doing to beat them. Yeah, yeah. I think that's an excellent point, for sure. So we got some pretty the neat... The wizard cards. Yeah, some, some kind of, like, throwback, you know, referential cards... We've got Wizard's Lightning and its counterpart in Wizard's Retort. Uh, so Wizard's Lightning is two and a red for an instant that deals three damage to any target, the new phrasing. Uh, but it costs two less to control. It costs two less to cast if you control a wizard. And then Wizard's Retort is cancel, but it costs one less to cast if you control a wizard. So these are really cool. I also like the art on each uh yeah. That, that references the other one. So if, if you haven't seen these cards, I would definitely recommend checking them out because they're very... I, I like it, for, for sure. Yeah, so these are these are definitely reminiscent of, you know, Counterspell and Lightning Bolt, um, but you only get access to that kind of powerful effect if you control a wizard. We've definitely seen, like, a couple, like, tribal synergies pushed like that recently in Standard. So this is kind of like the wizards. Like, we've seen knights. We were just talking about knights earlier, and now there's, like, wizards. So Yeah, and it... It, it hints at this, the existence of some sort of like, you know, blue-red tempo wizard deck, something like that. I, I think yeah. the, yeah. just like, super hard to tell if these cards are going to be good, but certainly what they imply is very interesting. Right, um, right, right. Unfortunately, Delver of Secrets is not a wizard after it flips, so these don't go super well. <laughs> with delver Armor. and modern yeah but you know in modern we just have lightning bolt so I right it's gonna be fine but but you know i was mostly thinking for counter spell purposes more, oh, oh more sure, than sure. lightning yeah, bolt yeah. purposes. one of the cool things though is that either of these cards if you snapcaster them back which is slightly less important for wizards lightning slightly more important because we already have lightning bolt in any format that has snapcaster but you know maybe you want eight lightning bolts to go in your snapcaster mage deck who knows who knows? Yeah. That sounds pretty so, pretty sweet. It does. Uh, I mean, probably need more wizards than you actually have access to that are modern playable. Although, uh, Dark Confidant, also a wizard. So, something to keep in mind. Oh, true. That is interesting. 
So yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe uh, Wizards Lightning is gonna might see some see some play popping up. But you I know, mean, there's so many decks in Modern that aren't even playing the full four copies of Lightning Bolt. So right, right, kind of tough and, to tell. And certainly, <laughs> if you want Wizards Lightning, like yeah, the format has to be in a place where you're very excited to be casting Lightning Bolts, or you're running a deck that specifically just wants this effect as many times as possible um young pyromancer's a wizard too right shaman it's a okay, human not shaman. a wizard yeah okay well he's a human he's a human that's true hey. that doesn't do a lot for him because <laughs> we cast yeah. a lot of non-creature spells in our human stack yeah. <laughs> the four ether vials and maybe a dismember <laughs> but yeah so these cards are cool and then just a couple of little role-playing things you know i am no fish expert but Merfolk <laughs> Trickster is pretty cool. So this the is the first time that this card was described to me. I, I felt kind of like led on. We were driving up to Cincinnati, and Todd Stevens was like, "All right, there's a new Merfolk. I think it's pretty good." And I was like, "Okay, I'm listening." And he's like, "It's blue, blue." I'm like, "Okay, good start. It's a two-two. Yep. Okay, great. Uh, it's got flash." And I'm like, "I'm in. This is great. Let's do it. Let's put it in our Merfolk deck. If it has any relevant <laughs> ability from here on out, then I feel like it's going to be a shoo-in." And then he says, when Merfolk Trickster enters the battlefield, tap target creature and opponent controls. It loses all abilities until end of turn. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, that, I feel like that just doesn't do anything. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, at least from the modern context. Um, I'm sure it has like relevant applications in standard, but the yeah. uh, it, it's definitely not something that I'm ex- expecting to see in any sort of in any sort of modern modern shell. Yeah, it's not the greatest thing i mean it lets you do shenanigans that require your opponent to have a tap creature so you can bounce it without using mirror regery if you don't want to run you know any threes in your deck or or if you're you know if, if you just don't want to run regery if you just want to run kiras or whatever its interaction with tarmogoyf is pretty nice because it turns it into an O one, so lets your guys fight the tarmogoyf if you need to do that yeah i mean this is probably just another one of those like kind of role-playing Merfolk, that maybe it's what you want sometimes. It, it's probably not like, oh, yeah, now Merfolk is a tier one deck. I, I don't think that, that this does that. Uh, right, right, for sure. But, you know, I think it's definitely very, very strong and limited, so it's definitely going to have some applications moving forward. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, any any Flash guy with an effect in, in limited is... It, it is fun to pass the turn with multiple different instants in your hand, and this seems... From what I've seen, like a limited format where that might be possible. So I'm kind of excited for that. Yeah. And then the last spell card we've got on our list is what I think is probably going to be a pretty strong standard role player, which is Cast Down, which is one in a black for an instant destroy target non-legendary creature. So kind of a straightforward removal spell, you know, nice and cheap, kills lots of stuff, kind of depends on how many legendary creatures we see being like important parts of the format i guess yeah one thing that we have seen is that there are a bunch of uncommon legendary creatures in this form in this uh in dominaria yeah which is like pretty interesting so i think that it's gonna have like interesting applications in in uh limited where there's like a you know a decent number of times where it just isn't gonna kill the creature you want it to which is kind of like what you want out of your two mana removal spell but, you know, at the same time, it's still very, very reminiscent of Doomblade. It's like, you know, it's just a two-mana kill a thing a vast majority of the time. So I think that it's going to be pretty strong there. People are talking about its implications in, like, other formats. I think it's definitely going to be good in Standard. I think that in Modern, 
it might pop up every once in a while. We've seen, you know, go for the throat, Doomblade, and other stuff like that see play, so. Exactly. Like, we see these kind of weird removal spells. You know, we've seen, like, Victim of Night out of Jund and stuff. Like, if you have a list of creatures that are specifically the ones that you want, like, this sideboard removal spell to kill, like, sometimes that that does it. Or, right. not, not out of Jund. Obviously, Jund has Terminate. Seen Victim of Night out of, like, Abzan in the past. But, so, you know, in any deck that doesn't have access to Terminate or needs to kill something with protection from red or something like that, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Cast Out is, is pretty flexible. Uh, yeah, I mean, Cast Out can kill a Master Waves and Terminate can't, so there's, you know, there's definitely applications, but... Yeah, um, yeah. I think Tassiger is, like, the one big thing that's making this card not just be an instant shoe-in into Modern, because Tassiger mm-hmm. is, like, a very relevant creature that's played by a lot of decks. Yeah, and one of the big reasons to be running a Terminate or two in, in your slots. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, but certainly going to see a fair amount of standard play. You know, it doesn't solve the the Scarab God, and it doesn't solve Hazaret, but it's right. one of the few like cheap removal spells that does solve, you know, Glorybringer, and, and lots of, you know, it, it goes up the chain on mana costs, and you can often, depending on what your opponent's deck is, you can certainly get ahead on mana. So that's very nice, but it really, you know, as with all all these restricted removal spells, it just really depends on what the threats you're particularly worried about are. And this isn't good in a format where just people are playing very few creatures and topping out at the Scarab God. This isn't good in a format where, like, Carnage Tyrant is the thing that's usually killing you. But it costs two mana, so it's gonna there's going to be times in the format where it's just great. Right, for sure, for sure. So yeah, definitely some a few interesting things to keep an eye on, get excited for. This set looks pretty sweet so far. I'm pretty excited. Yeah. I, I mean, it hits a lot of the nostalgia buttons. A lot of the art is just fantastic. And yeah. like a lot of the, the cards have me pretty excited to brew. So Same, same. Yeah, good stuff. Well, I think that's pretty much all I've got for today. Um, you got anything to add? Uh, no, I think we covered, covered a lot of stuff. Still is good. Well, uh, congrats again. It was super awesome to see you guys in the yeah. top eight. Yeah. Um, I mean, next time you gotta get a, you know, gotta get that trophy. But that's well, next time. yeah, gotta get that team trophy for sure. Yeah. If you guys want to find us on the internet, you can find us at mtggrindcast.com, where you'll also find a link to our Patreon. So if you want to give us some support that way, you can go to our website or you can go to patreon.com slash mtg grindcast uh you can also find us on twitter i am at mtg underscore grindcast and you can also find collins at collins mullen yeah so that's pretty much it thank you guys so much for listening and have a great week peace